lead the charge with Milwaukee. Performance, power, precision, no petrol hassles. Learn more at milwaukeetool.com.au. Milwaukee, nothing but heavy duty. Aces, I know I always talk about the Rixies, but I've got to offer you the discount again. In case you've forgotten or in case you're sleeping under a rock, we have a special discount code for everyone that listens to this podcast or watch the podcast. It's Aces. Head online to rickseyewear.com.au and use the discount code Aces and you'll get 20% off. That's right, 20% off, one-fifth at checkout and free express shipping. So head online, rickseyewear.com.au and check it out. All right, do we have a big show for you today? Let's get stuck into it. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tommy Talks podcast. Got another huge guest in the building. I think it's our first NBL player, current player. We've had a few ex, uh, oh, I guess Jock Landau used to play and he's playing NBA, but uh, Mitch Creek in the building, brother. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, mate. Great to be here. Great to have you. I've uh, I've, I've been traveling a little bit, but the NBL season, um, you get to, you know, I haven't been to many games lately, but I see Craig Moller. Uh, he's arrived. Um, and I think the last game I watched was Vic Craigie. Uh, how's he going? Uh, he's good. Obviously, you know, we were rivals at Sydney and United and he's gone overseas and played, come back, had the injuries, but now he's fresh. He's ready to go. Uh, he's a great piece for us because he's a hard-nosed guy. He's enormous. He, people think he's like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, but he's actually about seven foot. Uh, even with the hair, he's a, <laughs> he's a great team guy that we, we need on our roster, but he just fills a lot of gaps on the court. So having someone like Craig is just a great utility guy who can do it all. Has he shaved the bum fluff off his chin yet, mate? He, he hasn't, no. He never, we uh, used to I, say, Craig, get rid of that. And <laughs> I think he would grow it longer and we used to get, oh, come on, mate, clean it up. I actually, I've cut a few guys in the past. I, I take the, the piss out of it during COVID, but I actually started to learn and I, I cut like our physios, some of the players every oh, week. Haircutting? Yeah. So I started doing a bit of barbering stuff and I won't say that I'm handy, but I'm actually, I'm better than half the barbers that, <laughs> oh, that probably yeah. cut some people's hair. So um, I've actually told him, hey, mate, like if you ever, you know, you ever going to shave it off, like let me know. <laughs> like worst case scenario, you're going to shave it bald anyway. If I do a dog shit job, you can still shave it off. <laughs> yeah, so yes. he's actually agreed to it. So we're going to do has it, he? try and do it this week. So what he's going to shave stay, it off? Not the whole thing. He has talked about shaving off the the mop, but about doing the backs and the sides and then trimming him up a little bit. Okay. So no. I'm going to step up to the plate. Yeah. And I might, I might hit a single. I might hit a home run like that just then. Oh, I reckon you'll hit a home run. I think the great man needs to. It's just, the, it's just a stubble. He needs to clean. Up. <laughs> he had the little, he had the little uh, goatee. Just, just, oh mate, it was um one of the funny things. We used to obviously play footy together, but uh, nah, it's good to see him back as well. He's he's had a you know couple years there with the knee and and all the injuries and whatnot. But um, yeah, it's great and. And what about you, mate? How are you traveling? I know you got the you got your nice, nice tan. Is that because of the Puerto right. Rico? Is that starting to wear off? I, was, I came back from Puerto Rico and saw my god kids back in Horsham, and I got a photo holding them. And I actually look like I have a spray tan on. Like it was, <laughs> it was horrific. Like I actually came back so dark over there. I just, I was the white guy. Like I wore my my budgie smugglers every day on the beach. I flew orange and yellow and pink and. Yeah, I, I came back thinking I was pretty light and came back and I, I looked like Gary Brown on our team. Like I was just as Puerto Rican <laughs> as he was. So um, the photo is really funny. But yeah, look, it's 
It's a little bit of hangover of Puerto Rico. I miss the sunshine. I miss living in the sun on the beach. I've never had it before. And coming back to Melbourne, the, the weather's so bipolar. I don't know if I should wear a hoodie or I should wear board shorts some days. But <laughs> I, think if you got, I think if you've got a backpack with both, you're going to be sorted for Melbourne. I think today, as we shoot this podcast, 27 and, <laughs> and just unbelievable. And then the day before, just stinky. So... Um, you're right. Bipolar. I've never heard that term for the weather. That's uh, I'll have to steal that one. Yeah, it's it's pretty valid. I mean, even now, like I've I've got my, my I played golf before this, so I've obviously got my golf kit still on. But this kind of is fitting. I've got long pants and a and a and a button up on like a little polo shirt. But I could actually have to put a jumper on after this. So I have to take my pants off. Yeah. I don't know which <laughs> yeah. I'm going to do. So you when I go walk- outside, I'll have to assess it. <laughs> Walking down the street in your budgies. I yeah, reckon. yeah. Ah, that's brilliant, mate. And. Um, oh, let, let's start there. Like, I want to. We'll go. We'll go. Actually, let's go back to where you grew up because I will talk about that quickly. And growing, I want to um, go to Puerto Rico and you know your off season and really tap into how that shaped you up for this season. Um, but talk to us about where you grew up. You know, give us a little bit of a snapshot on where it all started. Where did the? When did you know that you were you were really good at basketball? Well, I grew up in Horsham, Country Victoria. Um, it's it's a little town, 20,000 people. You didn't really know if you're any good at anything because there weren't a lot of guys that tried out. I mean, the footy teams normally had, you know, just enough to kind of get by. Some people missed out here and there, but it was very, very minimal. Um, played footy, basketball, did little athletics, um, everything, cricket. Anything I could try, I was I was always doing. Uh, we had a little bit of land, so we, we had 20 acres we lived on. So the country was kind of very much home and still is home for me. I'm not much of a big city person. Um, although people kind of think that I brush off and rub off as a bit of a city boy with what I do and sometimes, you know, what I'm doing, like what I'm wearing or whatever else, it's actually the opposite. I'm just a comfy guy that likes being in the country and nice and quiet. So I I played basketball from a really young age. Uh, I was scared of the basketball the first couple of years. I was about seven or eight years old. I walked around with my hands in in my pockets. My my basketball shorts had pockets at the (laughs) time and I was too scared to touch the ball. So the first two seasons, uh, mom and dad said, Hey, look, if you're going to keep doing this shit, we're not going to play basketball. You got to play something different. Mum actually went home, sewed my pockets up, and I started kind of catching Sewing the ball. Up. And you know, I had to actually do something on the court and mingle. And after that, it it, it was footy, it was basketball, and it, I didn't really know what I was going to do. I was better at footy than I was at basketball. Um, I was a leading goal kicker. I was the best in Ferris and the juniors for a few years. Played some senior games and was playing, uh, doing a little bit of TAC Cup, like the Bart Rebels um, program, training with them in the preseason. Basketball ticked along in the background, but. Coming from the country, we didn't see a lot of great basketballs come out of Horsham at the time. Aaron Bruce, who went to Baylor, played for Australia, you know, played professionally in the NBL and and all around. He was kind of the the, the older brother to Sean Bruce, who still plays uh, now with the Sydney Kings. He was kind of the the cornerstone of like you know where we want to get to. We had great coaches, good players, uh, great locals. You know, Tim Pickett, Ben Dumasney, Damian Scurry, you know, some of them women footballers, some of them basketballers did both on the weekends. They'd play in the morning, footy all day, and then they'd go and play basketball at night. But I kind of emulated that a little bit. So I didn't really know I was any good until I went to interstate tournaments and went to Vic, Vic Champs, you know, national titles and stuff like that for Country Victoria, you know, silver medal, bronze medal, missed out the next year, almost wanted to go and play footy. And then all of a sudden, I got a, uh, a call up to the Institute of Sport and I actually declined it. Parents went through a really hard time and, and a divorce and I was kind of in the middle of it and felt kind of responsible being young and immature at the time and not knowing the ins and outs of relationships really. So I actually said no to the Institute for the first six or seven months and then I kind of was pushed out the door like, hey, if you at least go and you don't like it, we can always bring you back home and you can always come back here. There's always school and friends and family, but 
if you go and you lo- like you love it and you enjoy it, then stay. The world's your oyster. Dad always said to me. So it was about opportunity, and I think that's when I started to realize I've got potential to be okay at basketball. I got to put footy in the back background, but for me, I still didn't really know because all the players were the best in Australia. So you got your ass kicked every day, and you didn't really know if you were that good because everyone was smoking you all day long. You're like, far out. Am I actually any good? Yeah. And then you go to tournaments, then you go to national championships again. I was an MVP at the national championships, won a gold medal. Um, the next year, won another gold medal there. And then we went on Australian tours. And then we started to, to do well. World champs, we had in Germany, we won gold. I was an MVP of the tournament, All-Star 5. And then the door opened really in my mind. Like I could play professionally, I could go to college. And that's like the quick snapshot of how it all happened. But I still was never really the best player. I was never the best shooter, the best ball handler, the best of anything. I was a good athlete. I played hard and I had good touch around the rim and just knew my opportunities when and where to take them. So compared to a lot of other guys, I didn't have the talent. I wasn't a number one, you know, pick school from from college. I kind of went to the pros and and that's when my career started when I was 17 turning 18. How old were you when you went to AIS? I was about 16, yeah, midway through being 16 years old. Yeah. So you, yeah, nice. And you say that you're getting smoked at, you know, at training and whatnot. Who are the players that you're getting smoked by? Um, basically everybody. Uh, there was probably one or two guys I felt I could really hold my own against. Uh, we had guys like Jackson Aldridge who went to Butler, was the number one ranked school in the nation um, in America. We had guys like Anthony Drimmick, Igor Hazimedovic, um, all guys who've gone to college, like big colleges, done well, come back, played NBL. Hugh Greenwood, who's obviously played for Australia, now playing in the AFL with North Melbourne, traveled around, you know, Gold Coast playing there with the Suns. Uh, there was a plethora of talented players that were there, you know, doing well. Um, obviously, the year before me was your Matthew Della Vadovas. Um, all those guys had gone through that pathway and I was like, I'm nowhere near these guys skill-wise, so how could I ever be a professional? That was hard for me to overcome, but those guys kind of tuning you up every day for the first probably six, seven, eight months until you started to really hold your own and do better. Um, and work on your craft, that's when the kind of tide started to turn and I realized that I could really play at that level. Yeah. Yeah. You, and, and so you're saying you didn't have much talent, but you just maximized everything else and that's kind of why you reckon. I mean, you won MVP like you just said in that tournament. You surely would have grown a leg after that. Yeah. You, you start to build confidence, not from accolades, but I guess from performance. And sometimes the ease of performance is the hardest thing to acquire in any skill. It's great to to play around a goal for. It's great to make some baskets and, and and hit a couple good holes or shoot a couple threes and make them. But it's like, can you do it consistently, mm. like every day? And then can you do it with less effort? Can you do it at a higher level with less intensity and you kind of start to manipulate the game? And I started to realize that if I was stronger from the gym work and conditioning I was putting in um, on the running track and everything else, then I always had a leg up on everybody else. I could set, I could, I could set screens. I could roll harder. I could be more athletic and finish on the ring. I could play through contact, and I think that ability to do that and then apply a bit more defensive pressure allowed me to be, I guess, just fitter and stronger for longer, and it gave me more opportunities. So then, when I did get my opportunities, just to finish and and get some easy ones, I was always, you know, connecting on those. So yeah. I think it was about understanding that was really important. And for other guys, I noticed that it wasn't as important. So I was like, I can put more time into that, and I always put time into ball handling, shooting, and other things. But my growth in those areas weren't as quick as my physical conditioning. What happened next? I'm really interested because you've just had a pretty successful little period there. So what 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 happens? And I love this is what I love about podcasts is because 
there's a lot of people that are tuning in that are, that are young athletes that might be, you know, the next Mitch Creek and they don't know what's next um, and they're on the same path. What happens next in that period just so we can kind of, um, you know, understand the industry and, and the pathway? So I went from the country Victoria basketball, like local basketball, to state champs, which is like country champs. We're talking Stall, Ballarat. Yep as the furthest, maybe Geelong and that team always used to kick our ass, but your Bendigos, your Echukas. <laughs> so those are the the local areas. And then you go to a, you know, a state championship where it's like your big city Melbourne teams. And we used to get absolutely pumped. Like we'd get <laughs> pumped by 50, right? Yeah. You go and pump teams locally by 50, then you go and get absolutely rinsed. Then you go to like a national championship. You try it for a state team. You make the state team. You start to perform there. And then you perform again at a state team. Then you get a call up to an Camp. That was my pathway and then institute and, and so on and so forth. Other guys I know have never made a state team, never made a national team and been or just as successful as I am. And Nathan Sobey in the NBL plays for the Brisbane Bullets, uh, an MVP candidate this year so far, you know, bronze medalist at the Olympics, Commonwealth Games gold medalist, never made an Australian team, never made a state team. Mm. Went to like a, I think a very low division college. So my pathway and his pathway are very different, but we met in Adelaide. So from there, I, I signed with the Adelaide 36ers. I was 18 years old, signed a three-year deal with Marty Clark, who was the head coach at the Institute at the time. I was very lucky because a player, unfortunately, touch wood that it never happens to anyone else again in a position where someone gets injured, season-ending injury, and then I got a call up to play. But from there, I, I played three years, and then I ended up having Joey Wright come in as a coach, and that's how I ended up kind of staying in Adelaide for five more years with Joey until my tenure finished, went to Germany, went to the NBA as a bit of a call up and, and try and see if I could make it there. But that initial pathway for everyone is different. And NITC, ITP camps, like their intensive training programs, they are based all around Victoria, all around the nation. And you can go for a weekend camp with a bunch of kind of basketballers who are pretty good at basketball. Some of them not so good, some of them really good. And that's where you get to kind of see where you line up with the rest of the nation, I guess, and the rest of your state, country or metro. And as I said, it goes into state teams, it goes into Australian teams, it goes into potential AIS, but you don't need that pathway. You just need to acquire skills from a good coach and you need to practice repetition, discipline, and patience. Yeah. I always teach if you have, if you get taught a skill set, you have patience, you have repetition, and you have a perfect execution of effort. Doesn't mean the, the repetition is perfect to how I want it. It's about are you holding your follow through? Are you using the correct guide hand position? Are you just doing the basics well? And are you repeating that process as good as you can? If you do that over the course of time, you're going to incrementally get better every day. Now, when your skill set grows, you grow as a player. Those four pillars give you confidence. Confidence is the next thing you need to be great at this level or any level. You see the kids that are super confident nowadays, young, old, they have confidence, right? And the ones that aren't super exuberant and um, you know, out there, very, you know, loud and rambunctious. They, they just, they're just confident internally. They don't need to be that extrovert. They're introverted, but they're confident in their skill set. Those things is what kids need nowadays. If you have that, you'll always get selected down the line. It's just a patience game. Mm. Well said. Uh, yeah. So you're obviously doing a lot of coaching on the side. I do. Yeah, I do. You've got that nous about you, you know, like yeah, you can tell got- that you're quite passionate and, and, um, you would be a great coach if you weren't. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, I do quite a bit of mentoring and coaching now. Uh, I've done, designed some kids' booklets, even around the mental space of mental health yep. um, and wellness in sport, resilience training, 
goal setting, implementation, daily routines, all those things kind of built in so they can kind of start to learn what those things are, what those feelings are and how that actually affects the physical part of the game. Because we both know it's not about just kicking goals. It's not about just getting touches and that's it. Because you're going to have 20 touches and lose and it's your fault. Mm. You could have 50 touches and you lose and it's still your fault. But you're like, well, I've done a pretty good job, I think. But then the media slams you and then your mental starts to creep out of the comfortable, mm. you know, healthy space. And then all of a sudden you're starting to think about that and then you have a dive and then you really play one bad game and then they're on you. Mm. That space, kids are, are more involved in at an earlier age. So I think it's really important for them to learn that. And I think that's why I'm trying to teach that at an early age. Learn your skill sets, practice, repetition, discipline, mental health, resilience, do all the goal setting and planning. And they're going to have a good foundation to be successful in sport, in life, in relationships, no matter what they do. It's well said. We'll pause the... Um where you are there because I want to talk about Ger- uh, the Sixers and then Germany and uh, and and the States but have you seen the Beckham documentary? I have yeah I'm about just five as- episodes in how many episodes are there because I've watched three last night and I just uh, i got to go to bed because i got to get up early yeah. but I could have watched I was just in love with it it's it's a phenomenal doco so far I mean I've only seen after his basically tenure at Real Madrid okay um, so I'm, I, he just got to Real Madrid when yeah, I'm watching so yeah. it's kind of he's been there for a, a, a little span of time but a lot of people don't realize what he went through. Nah. People just think Bex is like yeah. LA Galaxy, $100 million contract, who's this guy, huge. Yeah, like, and I, I honestly knew a little bit, but I didn't know a lot. And to find out that probably the most, if you went through and said, who are the, the, most, the three most recognizable, attractive men in the history over the last 50 years? Yeah. Bex is probably one of them. Yeah, he is. He like, absolute Bex is probably one of them, right? Uh, so understanding that he, the most famous human on earth, was in such a negative space and he was so in love with somebody that, you know, even that love alone and pure love, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't even get through that. That shows you the causes of mental health. Yeah. And I think the real, the real life scenario, we as people, not even athletes, we're just people what we have to go through on a daily basis. Now, we're not on his level by any means, but it still happens and it still affects us. It still affects me to some extent. I'm just training more and more through the years to deal with it a bit better. But to see what he went through for months and months and months, I I don't even know how I would cope. I would have quit. The red card and then going back and getting booed for six months um, and then I think his next game for the country, he's captain and he scores. But... Yeah, I couldn't believe it, man. I was watching it getting that angry. And I think it's like a bit of a thing with the Aussies and the Poms, like we love smashing the Poms. And I reckon that that's even made me want to like, I never really jumped on that bandwagon much, but now it's like, yeah, I wouldn't mind getting stuck into the Poms because I just don't know whether we would do that to our own. But if we did, it's it's a disgrace. And And I don't know how people sit there and I don't know, like even watching it, like he's had a red card. He's flicked the leg up. There was not much in it. There wasn't and, a lot in it. It was a bit and to get, it was a bit fairy like from the old fella. Yeah, and he like he even says on the interview like, yeah, I'd, I just I, I was just amazed at the uh, the, the the result of it and the booze and the um I guess because he is, uh, you know when you're that good looking a lot of men especially are that jealous. Yeah, and he's dating the most famous woman in the world. Exactly, the there well. was just like a lot of jealousy and a lot of but uh, he just he was such a likable unless they're I mean. I know they are, unless they're painting him in the, the, what he's not, which is not true. What we see is what we get. And and even in the interviews and all that, like, 
I just it just amazes me how people can be treated so poorly when they're great people, you know? And he still hangs on to it. Yeah. Like that's the thing. Like he hasn't let it go. Well, it's the family thing. It made a lot of sense. Like yeah. you'd understand like when something happens to you and you're working through it, but you know that it affects your loved ones, that's hard to kind of, that's hard to um, block out because yeah. you know that it's already, that, like as he said, the damage was done and he, something that he can't live with, you, you know? And he, even now he's saying like, I, I still haven't forgiven myself yeah. for certain things that's happened 15, 20 yeah. years ago. He's hanging on to it still because it's hurt him so much. And when you see him physically emotional and he he's holding back tears and like the emotional side of like what he's really going through, that demon must be so dark and so heavy still. You just hope that in some part of his life moving forward, he can accept it. And maybe this documentary opens up a few doors of acceptance and I love for him. I reckon it might, mate. I reckon it might. So I don't think people really understood it. Well, I don't think anyone really understood it, even the people that are in the documentary. I think this is going to do a lot of good for him. And I think for football in general, and maybe oh, yeah. some of the fans that watch this as well and say, fuck, we better, we better not just ruin this guy's life because these guys are human. If the most famous, good-looking, successful man on and off the field is affected by this, then, you know, old Mitch Creek and Tommy are, <laughs> they could go through some shit. I reckon if we're talking about Bex, there's obviously, uh, you know, how many people are watching this documentary? It, it, it'll, it'll, it'll be right up there. It could probably yeah. smash the record. I mean, you see the Michael Jordan one and I mean, this, it'll be right up there. I'm looking forward it's to seeing be, the numbers on yeah, it. And, I think because China's obviously one of the largest markets of football in the world. Yeah. I think they'll end up getting it and it's going to go back. Yeah. No, nah, it's good. And that's, you're right. It's actually great that he can get it all out and tell the full story and give some context to, you know, what he was going through. And even like when he's having his first child, like, I think he always, you know, Posh has said I'm pregnant and it's the night before he gets the red card. So he comes home and goes to see her and it's like everyone thinks he's doing it for the, yeah, it just stinks. And there's no yeah, mobile phones back then, right? Which is maybe a good thing. You imagine if but it was. But also he could have put up a photo and saying, you know, we're, we're pregnant, like she's pregnant and, you know, we've got a kid on the way. How exciting. You wouldn't say how exciting in the post, probably just be like a love heart or something with all that red yeah. card. But do you know what I mean? At least you can just go, this is why I'm there or I don't know. I just, it stunk. It stunk so bad. And you don't know until now and you probably go back and go, oh, I was a dick. Yeah. I, I'm really sorry. But you can never say sorry in the time because 15 years has gone by of hurt. And I reckon there'd be a pain. lot of people doing that. Yeah. Um, Anyway, we get off topic, but I just thought I'd bring it up because it just, you, I watched it last night. We're talking about mental health and all that stuff. And, and that's one thing he didn't, he didn't fold. He actually, um, rose, rose. Yeah. yeah. He, he can sink or swim, you know, sink or swim. And he definitely, uh, didn't sink. And that's something that like, if I was a teacher, I'd be almost saying, kids, watch this. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, this is as bad as it can get, but there's two ways of going. And that's why it's, it was inspiring. It, it made me love, Bex even more, yeah. you know, like I, I used to like love what he was about and thinking, but yeah, now I actually yeah. can understand him. And it's like, as a person, as a, you know, as a family man, as, as a husband, but also like a footballer, like he's got that, and he's got moments, a bit of ticker. The moments that happened where he, you went, that was out of this world, amazing, incredible. You now have that on an even higher pedestal when you didn't think it could get any higher because of what he was going through. Oh yeah. Like he wasn't just sitting there doing these goals Confident. and these moments. <laughs> like when he was a, the captain uh, for his country and he comes out after all of the shit in the past and then he, he slots that goal like in the last minutes off a penalty and you're like, he's just saved the, the day. And now everyone loves him again, <laughs> yeah. right? But if he misses that, 
like what 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 could have been that's yeah. a, that's a question that i guess we we don't have the answer to and won't need to know but you think about it and you're like those moments he rose to the occasion he was a fucking monster 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 and yeah just oh anyway i could sit here all day and talk about it. let's get back to you um when you give me a little, give me a little period, like you're talking about playing at Adelaide. Like, what did you learn? You know, what? Like, I always ask, why didn't you go to the NBA earlier, or like, or understand why people do go or don't go? So, I'm just really interested to know what what was like. What do you want out of your career when you're at that level? You know, you're just trying to get your apprenticeship to get to a higher grade or um, or league, I should say. Or not, you were very comfortable there, and um, you know you you wanted it's, to. It's a lot harder to progress through leagues than people think. And even if you're a good player, you still need to be in the eyes of the right person at the right time to get into those situations. So my first three years, I wasn't very good, didn't play a lot, went from being the number one junior to essentially being the last guy on the roster. Um, My time with Joey, my first two years, I I basically hated because he was so hard on me and so tough on me, but it was a toughness that I didn't know I needed and it unlocked potentials I didn't know I had. So Joe is by far the most instrumental person in my whole career. The part I look at and I go, well, that was a learning curve that although it was bumpy and it was rough, it was needed and it was necessary. I needed to slow down and I wasn't as good as I thought. I wasn't as talented as I thought. I wasn't as skilled as I thought. I didn't have as much as I thought I had. Like even my first couple of years in the league, like you're not making a lot of money. It was probably six years of being a pro before I ever made six figures. Like we're not making a ton of money. Like people that work at the bank are making more money than us and we consider these professional athletes and mm. role models when realistically all we do is run up and down, get sweaty and put a ball in a circle thing and that's it. Like, yes, we can be role models because people want to aspire to play sport and be paid but I was kind of in that boat like, cool, like let's go to the club, like let's drink and go out and have fun and you know meet girls and do all these kind of stuff and just be a bit of a dickhead. But then I had to really come back to earth when I was struggling a lot and then I think that was the first time I really understood like anxiety and stress. Like I was, I started to really feel that. And then Joey was like, you don't know how good you could be. Like you're kind of wasting it. If you don't like put your head down and get to like, get to work, you're going to piss this away. You've got so much potential. I can get you there, but you need to trust me. And I reckon from that moment, I was like, okay. And I bought in like properly. And this is three four years into being a pro. And then my, my growth just went like this. Like I was in early, stayed after training and did extras, came in at night, sometimes midnight. Whenever I felt like coming in and getting work in, I was in and I was addicted to it. And when the, once the skill set got bigger and bigger and bigger, all of a sudden I started to play better. Then opportunities started to come about. I could play for as an import for, you know, it was Siebel back then, but it's NBL one now. And then it was like, oh, you can go over to Germany and play over there if you want for for a couple of months. So I did that. And then I came back and I was about to, I was, you know, went from the last guy on the roster to a six man, to a starter with Joey, to then being one of the main players, to then being a captain. I was a fans MVP of the league. So all these things started to happen. And I was like, this is all for Joey. Like, this is him. This is everything about him. I had a toughness about me that was completely different to everyone else. And I think that's why I am who I am today. And I'm comfortable because what Joey taught me is is what molded me into who I am today. But then you come back, you go to re-sign overseas in Germany. I'd signed for Würzburg. I was going to go and play there for 12 months. And then I got a call and they're like, hey, do you want to come over to America and do an Exhibit 10? Now, an Exhibit 10 is essentially a training camp invite. You can get paid anywhere between $0 and $50,000 
to come to training camp for about six to eight weeks. If you get all the way through training camp, you can get in between that payment amount. Now, this is public knowledge. Everyone can look it up. It's pretty simple. If you don't get picked in the team or you get cut during camp, they can just cut you and send you home and you can maybe sign up for the G League team. So the G League team is the VFL of the AFL. Everyone's got an affiliate club. The Brooklyn Nets is where I went for my training camp in the NBA and the Long Island Nets was the affiliate team. So the the, the contract there was like, I think $28,000. So I was going there, I was just signed in Germany and to put this in perspective, I'd not made over literally, I made like, I think I made a hundred grand my last year in Adelaide. I went to Germany and I was like, I'm going to finally make a bit of money. This is sick. Like, and for me coming from a family that didn't really have much growing up, we struggled our way through periods of our life. We moved in and out of different housing, small little tiny houses, a little bit of land and back into a small one. Like we moved around a lot and my parents did everything to give us as much as they could. And there were times where we couldn't go and do certain things and we couldn't have certain things. So when I had that moment, I was like, I can give, give back to my family a little bit now. I can repay some of the stuff they did for me when they stretched the budget as thin as, they, as thin as they could stretch it without it completely breaking and ruining things. So they gave me every chance and I was like, I'm going to go and I'm going to do this. This is amazing. I'm going to go and play and you know, make probably triple or four times what I was making. Like, how good's life? Like, this is sick. And then the NBA thing called and they're just like, hey, come in. Basically, you're guaranteed for like 30K and that's it for like a year. I was like far out. Hmm. I was like, I got to try and back myself. This is an NBA chance. So I really put all the chips on the table and said, do I want to do this or do I not? And I was like, I want to see if I'm good enough. People have said it, but am I good enough? Let's go and try. Got through camp. I got my full payment of 50, 50K and I was like, awesome. Boom. Didn't make the team. So I go to the G League, sign that contract and then we're off and running, right? It's barely a thousand bucks a week that I'm making there. So I, I kind of save a bit of that money that I got from the 50K. Mind you, I was in New York, so I got taxed through the roof and I didn't really keep much of it. <laughs> yeah, it's expensive uh, it's as expensive well. It's <laughs> expensive in New York. And all of a sudden, I was playing G League. Now, we played 50-odd games. We came in. Um, I was one of the leaders of the group. Had a really successful season, finished with the most wins in our out of all the teams in the, in the, the NBA G League. And we got to probably four, five months in and out of nowhere, you know, Oh, you're gonna get you're gonna get a call up for a ten day contract. So I was like, sweet, this is awesome. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll be in touch. We'll be in touch. We'll let you know the details. A week or two goes by, nothing. A week or two goes by, nothing. And I was just like, to my agent, I'm turning down life changing money overseas, and I'm being told I'm going to make it, but I'm not getting anything. So I stayed, and I was playing pretty well. We led our team, you know, a lot of games to a lot of wins, and then nothing, nothing, nothing. I actually called the coach who was, he was one of the assistant coaches for the Australian team, Will Weaver. And I said, hey, man, I, I don't know if I can stay much longer. Like, I, this is hard. Like, I was struggling and being away from family. I was by myself for nine months. Like, I was, I was re- in a really hard place. And I wanted to come home. And I want to go home and then I want to go overseas and make a bit of money and kind of just live a little freer. And at the time, it was winter New York, like stone cold Steve Austin. Like, it was shit. <laughs> and... I ended up getting a call literally the next day and it was like him. It might've been a few days later actually. And I just made the call to my agent. Like if we don't get something in the next like two weeks, naturally, like let's not push it. But if we don't get anything, like let's just, we'll go home, we'll go to Germany. I get a call a few days later and they're just like, hey, you're by yourself. We're about to go on a a road stretch for 14 days or something like that, play like 10 games. And out of nowhere, they're just like, hey, 
you, what are you doing? I was like, what do you mean? It's 11 o'clock at night. I'm about to go to bed. I've got to get up in the morning at seven. Like, uh, well, you know, you may as well unpack your bags because you're getting signed by the Brooklyn Nets. And I was just like, fuck. That's like, unreal. Hang on. Like, what? And he's just like, I just want to be the first to tell you, I'm so happy. I'm so proud of you. You deserve this. And I was just over the moon. Like I bawled my eyes out straight away. He's like, well, before you, you know, just calm farm, like <laughs> the GM's going to call you, but I'm so proud of you. Like that's, that was it. And that was the phone call. I remember sitting there and I was just shaking. I was so emotional, uncontrollable to the point of just like, I, I felt sick. GM calls me, yeah, Trajan Langdon, you know, congratulations. You, you're going to be a Brooklyn net, you know, unpack your bags, come in tomorrow. You're playing tomorrow night against the New York Knicks. <laughs> I was like, huh? <laughs> what? I got the phone, called my family, bawled my absolute eyes out like a baby, like just threw a tantrum through the phone. Family got on a flight the next morning, like jumped on a plane, flew to New York. Unfortunately, they didn't get to my first game, but I didn't even think I was going to play. The coach goes to me, you're not going to play this first game, mate. Just calm down. It's been a big 24 hours. You got to go through scout. You got to learn some plays. You got to learn some defenses. But, you know, you're a part of the team. So I go into the Brooklyn Nets facility. Um, we, we, we warm up in the morning. We get some shoot around in. We go to that night. We go to the game. I got my tracksuit, my jersey, like my locker. I'm sitting there just like, how cool is this? Like looking around, just taking photos of everything, taking videos, sending it back home. Coach comes up. He's like, hey, mate, you're not going to play tonight. Don't stress. Let's just get you acclimated. You know, we'll look to suit you up tomorrow night and see if we can get you a run. It's like, whatever you need, I'm ready, you know, yeah, like yeah. fight up. Here we go. I start warming up. Game game starts. And the NBA games, have you ever watched a full yeah. live game from start to finish? It's long. It's a long night, yeah. It's a long night sitting on the bench in a pretty chilled stadium. And I was stone cold. Like I couldn't move. Two and a half hours later, it's like third quarter, I think. And one of the players on our team goes for a layup, gets hurt take him off to the change rooms. I'm like, damn, like, you know, chap, like Rondé, you know, he gets injured. I was like, this sucks. And then out of nowhere, it's like, Mitch. It's like, me. He's like, come on. I was like, pardon? I was like, no, no, sir. He's like, you're in. I was just like, I didn't know what had happened. I didn't know what had transpired. But what happens is, which I found out, I went in to shoot the free throws for Rondé because he got fouled on a shot. When the player on your team gets fouled shooting two and gets injured and they take him off, the opposing team's coach will select the player from the other side to shoot the free throws. Knowing that I'd just been signed on a 10-day and wasn't going to play, they fully picked me to miss both free throws. <laughs> At the time, I just sat there for two and a half hours and I was like, this has got to be a joke. As I'm running on the court, one of the boys just like gives me a little smack on the arse and he's like, don't fuck it up. <laughs> I run on. I missed my first free throw. I could not feel my arms or legs to save myself. My knees were just like cactus. My hands were tight. I was panicking and I was like, I'm about to shank both of these. Like that's all I could think about. Went down, missed my first, went down, shot my second, made it. Oh, that's great. That was my first bucket, sub straight off, Boop, straight on the bench again. Um, and that was my first moment as an NBA player. Where was the game at? It was at, uh, at, home? at Brooklyn. Yeah, oh, I was yeah, yeah. Madison Square would have been. I yeah. mean, they're both cool at home. Both really cool. But yeah, played uh, played at home. 
fans went crazy. Guys on the bench went crazy. That's the, so cool, man. The, the free throw clip online is pretty awesome yep. to see. And Let's I'm get that up. I'm, st- I'm stoked just to to be a part of that. But flew out that night after the game to to Boston. The next day, my family arrived arrived in Boston. They came to the game, sat in the stands. I played like 15, 20 minutes, had oh, nice. half a dozen points, a couple of rebounds, a couple of assists, some good possessions, you know, and that was like, that was it. I was off and running, got to play against Giannis Antetokounmpo, play against him, got blocked by him. So <laughs> pretty cool. <laughs> that is very cool. Scored a, a floater on him though. So that was pretty cool as well. Um, but just, yeah, some really cool moments where he's like, I'm guarding him down in the block. Like it's, it's pretty surreal to think that you get to be a part of some of these things and whether it's short-term memory or a long-term thing it's it's just amazing to be a part of it but that turned into another 10-day contract straight after it so i had two in a row went back to to long island finished the season there and right as the the, the finals about to start for the g league minnesota timberwolves call me up hey you want to bring in for a 10-day want to sign you for the rest of the season all right cool flew out the next day to minnesota did 10 days there they signed me for the remainder of the season as well so it was it was a pretty surreal moment in my life but yeah, it's it's a dream for me to be a part of something like that, but it's not an unachievable dream. And I never dreamt in a thousand years that that was something I was going to do. Didn't think it was possible. Didn't think it was achievable until I got out of my own way and other people believed in it more than I did. And I trusted that. And then I eventually started to trust myself, which is something I wish I could have told myself to do a decade ago. Yeah. Man, that is so cool. That is, I mean- I'm just, and also I'm so happy for your family. Like when they fly over and they get to watch you play 15, 20 and, um, 20 minutes there against Boston. And, uh, did you just win that game? No, we didn't. Not that would have mattered anyway. Like, yeah, I didn't care. Yeah, at the just, time I was just pumped yeah, to be yeah, out yeah. there. Yeah. I was just picturing like, you know, you all on the court having taken photos and like hugging yeah. and, and, you know, I just, just cool moments, man. Like if you yeah. understand sport and, uh, and family and, and all the hard work and like you just said, everyone, Everyone thinks the NBA is, which it is, like it's the best, it's, it's the best. Like you watch it and it's fucking amazing. But people don't understand like, yeah, like KD and Book and all these guns, they're all on like, you know, Giannis, they're, they're the superstars. They get paid ridiculous amounts of money. But there's so many guys grinding and they're like, they're next to them. Like you're guarding them. It's not like you're yeah. that far off them, but there is a huge gap and they don't understand the grind. So I just love that story. I love yeah. that. That was brilliant. Um, so when you so when you went to the Timberwolves, like how long were you there for? I was only there for uh, for maybe uh, in total. My whole time there was about six months uh, in oh, total. Nice. I spent the off season there as well, training with them. Had kind of been told I was going to get a gig for the next season. Didn't work out. Um, went to summer league. Went over there, played that, and then ended up coming home. There was chances to kind of go to Europe. But at the time, I was like, I get to come home. There's a new franchise, Southeast Melbourne starting. We'll make you a marquee player. And that's where like you start to make good money. You start to like realize that the money you can make in Europe, you can also make at home if you're good enough. But with that NBA experience, I obviously, I wasn't playing a lot. But it was the confidence, I think, flipped inside of me like you are good enough. Mm. And that self-belief is enough for someone to be extremely dangerous. And I think I found that inside myself and I was like, I am pretty damn good, yeah. right? And you're allowed to be confident. Being cocky is another thing. Being arrogant is another thing all in a, in a whole nother conversation. But you don't want to be those things. You just want to be confident. And sometimes it rubs people the wrong, wrong way and that's okay. But those people don't understand how hard it is to be confident in yourself and your abilities. 
And I think that's when I came back. My first game, we played against Melbourne and I, you know, I hit one of the game winning shots. I had a really good game. And up until that point, I actually don't think I'd ever scored that many points in the NBL. And the first game I came back, I literally hadn't played more in that NBA time. I hadn't played a game more than maybe 15 minutes in six months. So I'd come back and I was just thrown in the deep end and it was just like, go, be successful, help our club win, beat the other Melbourne team. It's a huge rivalry. I was like, holy shit. I didn't really think much of it because I didn't realize the, I guess, how grand of a scale it was being played on and how much of a talking conversation it was until after the game. We won that game, but that's where the rivalry kind of started in the NBL with both Melbourne sides. But all that comes from the like undeniable confidence I had in myself because I'd gone and I'd achieved things that I never thought I could achieve, which no one else in the league at the time had achieved. I was the only NBA player to come in pretty much that wasn't an import. A lot of Australians could have gone and done the same thing I had done and I think they would have been successful. I think some great players would be successful in the NBA. Like I, I'm surprised someone like a Chris Goulding hasn't had a chance to be signed to a team because I think what he brings as an elite level shooter and player can be useful in the NBA. I look at other guys in the league that have gone there and, and had a crack and, and missed out. But some of these players, you just want them to do well on a grand stage because you got to experience a bit of that. And I want other people to experience it, but kids should 100% set themselves goals and dreams that everyone will think are unachievable. Mm. But if you just set yourself aside and say, I'm going to get there. And if I fall a little bit short at some point in my life by whatever means, then it's okay. I'm going to land in a pretty good spot. And I didn't even do that. And I got there. So I think having someone that trusts you and, and puts that trust in you as well and allows you to believe and dream is also very beneficial. So I hope that people listening and watching can have that confidence in themselves. And hopefully I can give you that confidence if you ever set those dreams. Send me a message on social media. Hey, I'm going to do this one day. I'll hit you back. 100%. Yeah, absolutely, mate. I believe you. Keep me up to date with how you're going. Like that's what I want people to 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 have in their life. Yeah, and it's something that, um, yeah, you see all the time. If your goals aren't big enough, people don't laugh at you when you tell them, then they're not, you know, yeah, they're not big enough. Um, no, but what you said is fantastic. And you can cl- clearly going to be a great mentor, especially for these young people, um, instilling all this confidence and self belief. It is a big thing because uh, we know what we've, you know, you know, when you've got it and you don't have it yeah. and you can see your performance. Um, let's not skip over the NBA though. You know, it is all the time, but just let's have some fun here. Name, name some players you were playing with, so, um, some moments in, you know, that you, you had, just what did you notice about the locker room? Cause I even, even, you know, go back to the Beckham thing when he goes to Real Madrid and they don't speak the same, you know, languages, but they're all good. There's a lot of money in the room. People take, you know, they all play the same position. There's a lot of that going on. Um, and deep down, you know, it's a business, right? <laughs> they asked the guy, why is Beckham there? He's like three times the revenue. Like it's, yeah. you know, it's not just about on the field. And so when you go to these locker rooms, what did you see? What did you observe? What was, you know, what was your, I guess, welcome to the league moments, even at the, like I, I just, I love this shit. You know what I mean? Give me. I remember walking in and I came in the, the team car, like they have like, <clears throat> they have these drivers that drove us around. And I pulled up into the car park and there's like Ferrari, Range Rover, <laughs> Lambo, like Corvette, like all these amazing, amazing cars. I'm a huge car and bike nut. Like I love cars and bikes now, build them, drive them, enjoy them. But back then I was just like, holy shit, like 
this is cool. Walk into the locker room. Day one, I remember seeing Damari Carroll was just like decked out, Gucci fit, top to toe, Louis Vuitton, like everything. And Senor Swag Daddy is what he called himself. <laughs> so you see stuff like that, D'Angelo Russell, Kenneth Fareed, like the Manimal, like these guys were beasts. Karis Avert, who's now nearly a max contract player, like all these guys when I was at Brooklyn were coming in and it, it, was, it wasn't like, the, it wasn't peacocking or anything crazy there wasn't like an arrogance but there was just like a this confident bravado in the locker room it's like they know they're good they know what they're good at they know they work hard and they're allowed to enjoy the fruits of their labor i, I was just coming in in like uggies and <laughs> sometimes like pants and a, a hoodie and just were happy to wear the the nets gear um the game fits were always really interesting i tried to swag it up a little bit but I had zero swag and still have zero <laughs> swag um, this golf kit's probably as good as yeah. I can dress um, but you, you, you do you, you go to these clubs you go to the games we had Barack Obama in the stands watching a game you have um, you know we we had everybody you could like celebrities Jay-Z, Jay-Z kids, it's called Jay-Z all the time. Meek Mill I sat when I watched one of the games I sat literally courtside with Meek Mill and talking to him the whole game. I was drinking Jameson and Gingers with him. Like, <laughs> it's pretty cool. So at the end of the day, they're all people. They're mm. regular dudes. Like, they're, they're regular guys and girls. They're no different to us. They bleed the same. They go to the toilet the same. They, you know, it's, we we have this, this fake belief that they are untouchable, out of reach, not human. But when you meet them, they're just the same. They have the same insecurities. They have the same struggles and problems in life. They've got the same issues that we go through. They have the same successes and enjoyments and you know fulfillments that we do. So once you start to be around it a bit more, you start to realize that the world's pretty simple and you're like, we overcomplicated in our own heads mm. and we feel like things that are unattainable aren't really unattainable. They're just limiting beliefs that we give ourselves. And once we get rid of those things, then the world becomes our oyster really. So yeah, I mean, you're getting on the jet after a game, you've got full lazy boys in there, like steaks being served, guys are playing uh, poker and cards, uh, more cards, sorry, in the in the planes. They have like bags of money. They're just thrown on the tables, <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dollars getting passed around like with, you know, bets and stuff like that about, you know, who's going to win this card game. Oh, like it's, I just remember sitting there like, holy shit, that's a lot of money. And I was like, they're not ones. They're ones with two zeros at the end of it. Um Probably one of the welcoming moments was we went out to dinner uh, after one of the games and we all sat down and had a feed at this this restaurant and I didn't think it was going to be what it was, but it was like, hey, mate, you got this one? Yep. Sweet. Thanks, bro. And then everybody left and I was like left with the bill and the bill was like about $6,500. So this is US. Yeah. So this is about 10000 mm. Now, for people that aren't accustomed to American policies, I suppose, or tendencies, you tip. Tipping in a nice restaurant starts at about 20%. 20% average. Average. That means they've done their job, but it's no better than... So I I write the tip and I was like, oh, 20%. I was like, I wrote it down and I was like, I did the math. I was like, 20% of 10,000. I was like, that's a lot of money. Yeah. I like had to use my credit card because I didn't have enough money on my card. I rolled you the boys. And I was like, oh, okay. I just did it and I remember a, bit, a couple of days later, you know, some of them came up and were just like, hey, like, it's, hey, appreciate what you did. You gave me some money and it was more than I'd actually paid for dinner, but they were kind of like, Testing, yeah. well done. Like you didn't, 
You weren't like, oh, no, I'm not paying this. Like, I just paid it. Like, I just thought like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I saw other guys who declined certain things and were like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. It's like, hey, man, give me a give me a Gatorade out of the fridge. It's like, I'm not doing that. It's happened in different teams and you, you see it and you see this like little bit of tension start to rise. Like, you're a rookie. Give me, give me a Gatorade. Like, give me a... T- like, And it's not about like not guys not having respect. It's kind of about like just learning your role a little bit and you got to understand, you got to kind of, it's been a little push and shove and, you know, I, I realized pretty quick, like be a nice guy, you know, don't try and put in too much into conversations just where it's easy and it flows. Just be your normal self. Don't try and be them. You go to clubs, they buy booths, they buy bottles, like offer money and, hey man, can I help with the bottle? And it's like, no, 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 no don't be stupid. I got this. But that goes a long way because the guys that don't do it, don't get respected and appreciated. So I felt like I had enough respect and an, enough appreciation because I did offer. Sometimes I really hope they didn't say yes because <laughs> I didn't have enough money. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like people back home are like, oh, I was in the NBAs with these people or whatever else. But realistically, like you're still scraping pennies together. Mm. I'm still budgeting and trying to save and, you know, not, <laughs> not run out of money to buy food or whatever else. We had a chef and lounge and everything. I used to take home you go there for breakfast, they'd have nice, beautiful breakfast at a barbershop at the, the club and everything else. And then we'd have lunch there. And then I'd take a, a big lunch thing home for dinner because then I could save money because obviously New York was very expensive at the time. So yeah, it's it's all learning curves, but you look back and you're like, some of this shit's pretty crazy. And some stories that you wish you could probably share, but you can't really do it. And you're like, there's just moments that I've told like friends and family that you're like, I could never believe this. And you show them some photos or videos and they're yeah. just like, that's... Yeah, it's that's so pretty good. cool. I love it, man. I love it. I love it. It's uh, the locker room. There's nothing like it. And 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 you're right. Yeah, there's blokes that uh, doesn't matter what locker room you're in. If they if they're kind of those sour, nah, not for me. Don't want to come along. It's like it's just got to get involved. Everyone will yep. look after you. Um, yep. I'm glad they gave you the money back because I, I I was going no way they're doing that to you. <laughs> yeah. What I want to ask you, and uh, this is a private question, but I think because we've we've touched on it, it's fine to ask. How much money do you reckon you earn in that six to six months with the Wolves and the two week, uh, the two 10 day contracts. Like, did you end up pulling a little bit of cash from that? Yeah. Like, I mean, 10 day contracts at the time were about 60,000 a piece. Yep. So I had three of those. Um, I had my camp money, I had my G league money and then I actually got signed and it was, I mean, I think if you're on a day wage, I think it's around six or $7,000 a day. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So you're getting rewarded. That's so, great. Yeah. I, I definitely came back and I was like, holy shit, like I've actually got a bit of money in the bank. Like, yeah, you deserve it. It's really it. cool. Like, mm. and I went and bought a new car. You know, I, I literally went and sold. I had a car at the time. It was a thousand bucks. Like I was driving a thousand dollar AU Falcon from like 1998 or something like that or 2003 something. And I remember being like, shit, well, I may as well go buy a car. So I went and bought a car and I spent like 40K and I just went, here's some cash. And I was like, that was actually a really nice feeling. Um, shortly after that, I actually, I turned around, I bought my mama car, bought her a brand new Volkswagen, you know, sedan. And at the time, mum had a late nineties Astra that was, had 300,000 Ks or something like that. And it was like, it was a great little car. There was nothing really wrong with it. It was just old. And I was like, I'd like to be able to do something for my mom. Yeah. So I bought her, a, I think at the time it was like 2018 or 2019, like Volkswagen. Beautiful car. And I just gifted it to her. Didn't tell her. Put a nice little bow on it. Mint. Um, was able to, you know, surprise her with that and do a really nice video for her. And yeah, I've, I've got some photos. Like I'll, I'll show you that one. It's, yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. one of my, probably one of my proudest moments was not that money changes anything, 
But fuck, it makes a big difference. <laughs> like yeah. anyone that says money doesn't make people happy, I've never had a lot of money. I'm not saying I have a lot of money. I'm just saying I've had enough to make some choices. And that's made me and my family a little bit less concerned about when's the next bill getting paid. Yeah, a bit of security. When's the rent getting paid? Like I was able to pay a couple of years rego, a couple of years insurance, buy a car out for it and say, here you go. And for the next couple of years, those repayments didn't have to come in every month for insurance. They didn't have to worry about, you know, how do I pay a $900 rego for 12 months? Or how do I get service or whatever? I just went, Here's a couple services. Here's a couple of this. It's already prepaid. When you have to, bring it to my mechanic. He's going to do everything for you. Two years. And it was just like, that was a, an amazing feeling. And to see my mom and how happy she was, she's like, I didn't ever need anything like this. I don't want anything like this. But those moments where people don't expect anything, especially family, is sometimes the most, I guess, surreal feelings for me being like, I was able to give someone in my family, someone who I love so very much, this opportunity, it was, yeah, it was really special. So cool, man. So cool. And I'm glad that you did earn a little bit of cash. Um, because as you said, it's a grind. You, you want the reward. It's not about the cash. It's just about, it's, it's a bit of security helps. But also, as you say, like, there's a reason LeBron James is still playing. And, and you can't tell me that the cash hasn't helped. He's he's probably got the most elite everything around him. And he, that's why he, he's going to be the oldest and the best to do it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so... Um, it helps and you know in your situation that's awesome to hear I love people that give back as well because you're not there without your mum and other people in your life and and uh, no doubt that's what uh, like I don't know but but that's what spurs you on is being able to do things for people in the community Um, so yeah it's uh, it's good and that's why I thought I'd ask so let's go back you come back home um, and now you're playing you know you're the marquee player Um, how was all that you know, what's changed. We'll talk about the boomers in a second, but yeah. I want to know like that, pe- like the period from there to now, like yeah, you so- as a player, like how have you, there was, you know, I spoke to Chris Anstey. He spoke about your shot. Mm-hmm. He reckons that you had to improve your shot and you did. Yeah. Um, what have you done on your shot to make yourself uh, more consistent? I think, Limiting beliefs is something I spoke about before and it's something I do a lot of work with now with with Danny Kennedy, who's my strength and conditioning and mentor, um, does all my mindset training as well. But it's one of the things we talk about a lot is limiting beliefs. And I think coming back, having the NBA experience, having that confidence, having a little bit of security financially, just for a small period of time even, is a very nice, calming feeling. It's like, wow, I don't have to worry about my rent, my bills, my opportunities going on a holiday. I can just kind of live a little bit and have it, enjoy a little bit of the life. So then we, we we go into the seasons, we start playing. Our first year was pretty unsuccessful as a club, I guess, um, from a wins and losses point of view. We had a lot of injuries. Year two was very successful. We, we got to the semis almost. Um, uh, sorry, we got to the semis, but then we, we almost made it to the final. We played Melbourne United um, in a three-game series, lost game three. But some of those things that happened was I came back and I, I, I trusted that the work I'd done in the NBA – was going to pay dividends over here. I put a lot of time into my shot, put a lot of time into just repetition and just the discipline side of things. And I think that's where that side of my development really improved because I was so like reliant on, I have to go in and I've just got to do the right thing today. That's it. Get up, go to the gym, go do my conditioning, go do my rehab, get my recovery in, go and do my workout on court, go and get extra shots up and keep that process going. Just be consistent. I don't have to do two, three, four hours on court. Let's just do 30 minutes of really precise, really elite work. 
And then maybe in the evening, we'd have a team session, right? And you do your team session. But every day it was that kind of mantra of like, just get a little bit better today and be a little more consistent today, a little more professional today, a little more excellent today. And then the, you know, the dividends started to pay, pay themselves out to me. Play games, start to make more shots. Then the defense comes on to you a little bit harder. Then all of a sudden you drive by them a little bit easier. And then once I started, I was like, ooh, hang on a second. I'm really playing inside, outside, mid-range as well. Then it was like, okay, now I'm in the conversations for you know some of the top players in the league, which is a really nice thing at times to feel, but also comes coming with that is obviously expectation, leadership, captaincies, you know, the media try to get on you a little bit more and you got to, you're in the, the limelight and spotlight a lot more. So that was very different doing the media side of things as well. All of a sudden that, you know, third season, fourth season, now we're into the fifth season, you know, back as a captain, um, you know, the last 18 months, you know, still a co-captain with Kyle Adnam, who's not with us anymore, but seasons prior, like there's just differences of like how the seasons sh- sh- shape themselves, I guess. And every year we always say it and it's actually true though, but the league's got better and better every year. So for me, now it's about leadership, you know, what, what, what is my job there? Like, what is my role that I've kind of undertaken? It's about trying to help other people be consistent and be a little bit better today and everyone stay on a pretty even keel mentally. We don't get too high, we don't get too low. If we can stay as healthy as possible, we give ourselves a chance to be successful. Now, we might have started this season one and three, we might go one and eight. In Puerto Rico, we went at one and eight to start the season and then we finished on top in our division right? And we went to the semifinal and nearly made the grand final in game seven. So it's not about how you start, it's about how you finish. But for us, it's just about consistency every day. So I've learned along the way, it's less about winning and losing and it's more about consistency and just being a good person every day, trying to make sure I'm there for other people, trying to make sure now I'm there for myself first, you know, my partner, my family, whatever it is in my life, I need to put myself first majority of the time because if I'm not okay, then I can't help someone else. I'm going to be, you know, trying to help someone and I'm a sinking ship. I don't want to pull them down with me. I just want to make sure I'm okay so then I can help other people as well that I care about. And I care about my teammates. I care about my coaches. I care about the community. I care about the fans. I care about all the things that I'm doing off the court. So if I do those things, I take care of myself. I can take care of my business and whatever else I'm putting time into. It's well said, brother. One other thing that I think you care about is the boomers. And I'm really interested to ask you about this because we're all passionate basketball fans in this room. And there's a lot of them that listen and the Osmerican Aces, especially. Um, that's why we're called the Osmerican Australian and American sports fans. Um, look, the boomers probably struggled just recently. And there's been a lot of talk about you and why you're not in the team. Um, I'd love to ask you what you think is going on there and do you believe that you should be playing and should you be in the squad and, and 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 what's the if you can touch on it but like is there any talk around camp that you know you might be coming back in or what because something's going to have to give off the last kind of campaign I know Jock went down but I feel like you're the perfect kind of a person to come in I know Dally there's I listened to Bogues that does his contract uh, does his contract does his podcast and said he knocked back NBA um, contracts to sit on the bench because he wanted more court time to prove himself for the Olympics. So, um, you know, you think about two blokes that can come in and add value, like they're the first two I think of. What's your thoughts on all of that? Um, I, I only just really <clears throat> touched on this, I mean, not long ago with um, getting saucy on the Southeast Melbourne po- podcast with Alan Williams, but... He's beat me I, to it. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think for me... It's never my choice not to be a part of the team. 
I've always been the same person on the court and off the court. I respect everybody. I'm always patient with people. I don't go outside and and cause a ruckus. Some people think that because I skydive and I race motorbikes that that is not a a kind of trait that we want around or whatever else, but that doesn't actually explain why I do those things. It's a precise discipline and control that I need in those moments, which gives me such joy and inner peace. So when people try and say, oh, it's because he does all these crazy things, it's not true, right? It's not crazy. If you've seen me skydive before, you watch me fall out of a plane and softly land on the ground. It's not about extreme. It's about control and self-discipline. Now, I've never gone in and said, I don't want to be a part of the team. Never in my life. It is not my decision. That decision is out of my control. It is the people above me that make those decisions. Now, whoever that is, wherever they are, it's their choice not to have me in the team. Now, I, I look at it and I say, look, I'd love to be a part of that team. I absolutely bleed green and gold. When I got my name called out to be on an Australian jersey for the first ever time, I bore my eyes out. Every time I get caught up, I get teary and emotional. I call my family and they get emotional. Playing for Australia means absolutely everything to me. And the fact that I haven't been able to play, even in lead-up tournaments, I would fly. I mean, I would run through the ocean. I would somehow run on water <laughs> to Guam to play in a tournament. Doesn't matter what it is. Tell me to get a canoe there. I'd go and buy a canoe and I'd paddle my ass there to be a part of that team. If I got called up today to be a part of a game in an hour on the other side of the planet, I would find a way to get there. Being a part of Australian team is everything. And I've never not put my hand up. I've always been healthy. I've always been accepting and I'll always be ready no matter what happens. Unfortunately, the team didn't perform fantastic at the World Cup, but this gives them a motivation and a fire to absolutely fucking dominate at the Olympics, to give themselves a chance greater than a bronze medal. And I think we have the capabilities to do that. Now, every time there's been a team announced, I always share it on my social media. I always support them. I always say good luck. I always wish them the best because whether I'm a part of it or not, I've been a part of it. And that means more to me being a part of it and still cheering from home, watching every game, writing every play, watching what they're doing offensively, defensively, because maybe what happens if my phone rings and I'm in Australia and, hey, we need someone in that four spot. We need someone to play a defensive role. It's okay, I got it. I know the sets. I know the defense. I know the tendencies. I'm watching the games. I've seen the scouts. I know how they're going. That for me is where I'm at. If I never get to be a part of it again, I know that I never did anything wrong and I know that my name was cleared. Now, whether people say mud sticks or not, that's your choice. But I didn't do anything wrong and everything was thrown out in a court of law. It was all dropped. Now, think of me as you like, no matter who you are, young and old, male, female, in between, I don't care because I know that I stand on my own two feet proudly today and I can sleep at night knowing that. There's a lot of other people that probably can't sleep as well as I sleep and haven't been accused of the things I've been accused of in my past. But I sleep pretty fucking good knowing that I am who I am today and I'm proud of that. So yeah, it's, it's hard because I see it. I know I can help. I know there's certain players that say, hey man, like, you know, why aren't you a part of this? Do you not want to be a part of it? And I'm like, absolutely, I want to be a part of it. And it's like, wow, that's crazy. That's baffling. I've had certain players reach out and be like, man, we want you on the team, but it's not my choice. I wish it was. I don't want people to miss out either because I want them to play for their country. I've been able to play for, the, for my country. I want everyone to play for the country, but unfortunately, there's limited spots. If I get a call up to camp, unreal. Let me prove myself, right? Let me show I can help. But as I said, it's not my choice and I have to live with that. 
if I don't get to play for the Boomers, I've, I've said to, to Dave B, where I've said to the 3x3 that I'd love to put my hand up and play 3x3 for Australia. I just love to pull on the green and gold again because that's how much it means to me. And if it's not five on five, then it'll definitely be three on three in the future. 100%. Really well said. And there's no need for me to ask a follow-up question with a message to the selectors because you've you've kind of given it there. One thing I love is your passion for the country and um, staying ready and watching the game and, and, and not being that sourpuss, you know, the bloke that hates on everyone when it doesn't go his way. You're supporting, you stick by them and... Um, Hey, we'll go back to Bex. It turns, right? Yeah. It does turn. Things turn. And your documentary, you know, your story is still being written. And, and it wouldn't wouldn't it be amazing that you do keep fighting and you get selected and you become a you know a, just a really important player. Um, and you go to the Olympics and we win gold. Like they're the things that, or you play America and you know, it, it just these are the things that can happen and, and they might happen, you know. And that's why I love um, I love hearing the way you speak. And you know, it's. Yeah, it's a credit to you as well. It's a credit to anyone that's been in your position where it's out of your control. When things are out of your control, you can only control what, you know, they always say control the controllables. And it's just so, it's so, you know, it's, it's great advice because if you start beating yourself up about those things, which we've probably all done, mm. it does get you down because you go, oh, this bloke, what's he doing and that? And, you know, my name's cleared. Why are they thinking of this? And da, 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 da. So, um, Nah, mate. Well, before we move on, I just want to say all the best with it, uh, and and um, and love love your mindset. And it's my, it's a mindset like that that I used to love playing with blokes like that. And being as, uh, even today, I love being around blokes like yourself with that mindset. And um, it's a successful one. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm really rooting for you, and and we're rooting for the Aussies as well. Like yeah. we, as I said, they they struggled a little bit. There's certain things that, like you said, but it could be it's all timing. We want the um, I don't know about you, but I'd love to win the Olympics over the gold medal over the World Cup. Be great to win both of them, but yeah. the Olympics is fucking, it's big. It's very tough. Not many people go to the Olympics, yet alone win a medal. Um, and basketball's a, I mean, it's a, the sport's massive at the moment. So, um, nah, really well said and um, hope it all goes your way. Uh, and I love the fact that you say I'm available, I'm watching, I'm fucking, like, do, do, they, do they send you, when you're out of the squad, are they sending you the plays or you literally got to pick them up off the television? So you can't even educate yourself. So you have to pick them up. Nah, I, I, when I was at the, the previous Olympic camp, um, Brian Gorgian was the head coach and the assistants were who they were. Now, I, I remember speaking to the assistants about the sets, what we're doing. You're starting to go through the defensive, the tendencies, all those kind of things. I, I, you watch it and you go, that's what they're running. And you can kind of start to pick up in the game. Someone will come down, they'll be yelling flow. They'll be yelling wedge, they'll be yelling, you know, horns or, you know, horn side, whatever it is. And I can kind of make mental notes and be like, ah, oh, this is horn side action. They're coming for Patty on the two side, right? They're going to go, you know, side pick and roll and, and empty that corner out and try and Spain action it. Whatever it might be, I can look at it and go, okay, cool. I can kind of understand a fair bit of it. Defensively, what are they doing against a great guard like a Dennis Schroeder? How are they playing that? Are they hard showing? Are they going under? So we don't get given those things when you're out of the squad, but obviously when you're in the squad, you're getting all of that. So I remember seeing some of it and Brian Gordon's a phenomenal coach, phenomenal human being, incredible. One of, if not the greatest Australian coach. But the thing is, is if you don't get it, you've got to learn it, right? It's like, it's like anything. I can learn a lot of things in life if I pay attention and I study it. Mm. So that's all you do. But you're right, you know, when you miss out, you, you kind of don't get that information. But, uh, you know, as you said before, you look at a deli and you say the man's, you wouldn't say he's redefined himself, but I think he's got that little fire or big fire that has come into this NBL season and said, I'm that fucking good. You can't miss me again. You might've missed me once, 
but you're not going to miss me again. And I think for me, seeing that is motivation as well because it's like, I'm so happy that he's come out and he's in phenomenal shape. He's shooting the absolute piss off the ball mm. right now. He's playing at both ends. He's creating left and right. He's bumping guys. He's talking shit. Like he's motivating his teammates and Melbourne are being successful. And I said in the preseason, when the NBL asked us in these interviews, who's the MVP this year? I said, Matthew Delvedova. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not allowed to bet on it, but I would be putting my money on that man because he is in some kind of form with a mindset to prove how good he is and how valuable he is. And I really wish him all the best. Um, and I, I really hope that he gets to pull on those colors because I know if it means more to anyone else in this world than me, I know Delio will give me a run for, for my money. Yeah, well said. And uh, yeah, I think I think he will. He's he's great to watch. Um, just has a talk about effort. It's a hundred. Mate, we go to questions um, now. Obviously, cool. uh, Oz American Aces, we put up a little thing and I appreciate you sharing. So there's always some cool questions. So I'll just go to the, the Aces questions here just to see what we've got. Um there's some silly ones as always. I like so it. I, I like Hit it. Me. Oh, I go. Th- I got to sift out a few. I know but, there's gonna um, be some of my mates. They're gonna be throwing some absolute <laughs> turd flies in there. Yeah, there's always a, a co- here one. There's an Instagram page: coffees and frothies, uh, <laughs> and it's a simple question. Would you prefer a coffee or a frothy? <laughs> um, oh, coffee in the morning. Um, but depending uh, if the boys are there, I'll have a couple of frothies. But you're in great you're, you're in great shape with them. Have you leaned up a little bit? Like you've always and been you a know, muscly people, man. People always ask me like, "Oh, what have you done?" You know, rah, rah. I've actually I weigh more than Do than I, I when I left um, last year. I finished the season about 100, 102 kilos. I came back, I was about 105, and it's probably a little leaner upper body wise, but probably a lot of my strength stronger. playing 60 games in Puerto Rico. My lower body is a little bit stronger, so probably evens it out a bit. There you go. Budgies or jocks during a game. Uh, yeah, jocks. Can't wear budgies. I, I feel like I'll chafe me tattoos <laughs> off me legs. <laughs> what's What's given you the biggest adrenaline rush you've ever had? Obviously, um, you love your extreme sports. Oh, biggest adrenaline rush would have been the first time I went up in a hot air balloon, knowing I was about to jump out of it with a parachute. The you you know as a skydiver and a, like a base jumper that the first thousand feet of altitude when you're going off the ground in a balloon, your parachute won't open in time and you'll just be a, a smashed egg on the ground. So I was actually sitting on the outside of the balloon and I have a little hook into my leg strap, just like holding onto the basket, but my feet, like I'm literally on this, legs out the side. And I had this emptiness and I was like, oh, that's pretty sketch. <laughs> and there was a, a balloon with about 15 skydivers in there and in the balloon, there was about five or six people going for like a, a 4 a.m. sunrise hot air balloon experience, not thinking there was going to be 15 idiots in the balloon. So that was probably the, the craziest feeling and the most adrenaline I'd kind of felt because I was like, I actually know this moment for the first thousand feet is pretty sketch. But after that, yeah, you're all sweet. Oh, you're, you're built differently. You, I tell you, I couldn't <laughs> do that, man. I fucking, I think I'm scared of heights. I nah. just, I don't know if I am, but I, 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 I am a little bit. I not, I don't think it's like a, I'd still jump. You got to come, for, if you come for a skydive with someone who has done it before in a, in a, in a plane full of skydivers, you feel really safe. Comfortable. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the, like the balloons are, are something where the people in the balloons are like, you guys are stupid. Man, even getting in like a balloon crazy, like, is yeah, crazy. But then you get the rope, like there's a rope swing, like a ski rope on the side of the balloon and you swing off it and 
yeah. you, you do that and they're just like, what the hell are these guys doing? Job. But we're just like, this is a big swing and I know I'm going to be safe under my parachute. So, yeah, it's oh, good fun. Wow. That's so good. Um, what else have we got here? Someone said, why did you take the kids' food? I don't I don't have any context to it. Can There's you help a, me out? That's uh, from uh, Willie our, Myers. There was a, a kid sitting in our second game against Perth this year. We were up in the last quarter and I wasn't going back in. I'd had a bit of a, a calf strain. Um, so I was kind of just managing the last quarter. didn't have to go back in. But at, the game was all, all, all and done pretty much. There was about five minutes to go and there was a kid sitting next to me eating fairy flush and it smelled really good. And I like looked and I was just like, is it good? And he's like, yeah. And he kind of like, you want some? And I was like, yeah, can I have some? <laughs> so I took his fairy floss and I ate a couple of handfuls of fairy floss. That's so good. Fairy floss is that's one of the best things you can have as a kid. Um, but we haven't, have we, the reinvented shot though, we, do we dive into that? Um, not really. I mean, it's just, did you change your technique? Time and discipline, honestly. So just time, repetition, discipline, and repetition yeah. with a new technique though? Or was it more a just little bit, more work it's, into it's it? It's more about like, for me, it was a lot of form shooting, like a lot of old school basics, like straight, 90, follow through, straight, 90, follow through. And then it was just repetition and repetition. And then it was the confidence as well. The confidence component from America is what helped me believe I'm a good shooter. Now it's like, I don't have to get up 500 shots a day. I can get up 100 shots a day perfect reps. Some days I shoot three, 400 shots, but other days I might shoot 50 or hundred and I'm like, I'm cooking. I'm in a beautiful rhythm. I know I've shot thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of shots over my career in practice. So I can trust that I'm, I'm a good shooter and I, I back myself. Yeah. Well said. Okay. Last one here. Um, this one's from San Diego or Fran San Diego, but is he coming back to Puerto Rico? <laughs> I'd love to so answer that question for me and then talk to me about that experience because you were playing with Boogie Cousins and yep. the likes and it looked like a lifestyle like no other. Yeah, I mean, I would love to go back to Puerto Rico. Uh, we've been in talks with teams. Uh, they had a change of head coach and a change of staff. So the team that I was played for the last two seasons there, the Guanabo Mets, they've, um, they've made some shifts. So I'm just waiting to hear there. They've they've expressed that they want me to come back. I've had some other teams over there expressed pretty early on that want me to be a part of it. So it's all kind of up in the air. I want to go and play in Japan. I want to go and play in Asia somewhere. I'd like to go and do like a Taiwan or the Philippines, somewhere like basketball crazy where you can just be hype with the fans. Um, I love Puerto Rico. It was a beautiful experience. I had an amazing time. Um, you know, I was able to live on the beach. It was 30 degrees every day. It was absolutely magnificent. I would recommend anyone to go and travel the island, to go and, you know, see it. You've got um, Cuba near do- next door. You've got Dominican Republic. You're right next to Miami. You're, you're, you're on the east coast, essentially, of America. It's just a, a place that you can go and enjoy. You get paid well. You get looked after. You're treated, you know, really well by the clubs. And as an import, um, I was probably one of three imports out of the whole 12 teams over the season that didn't get cut. So everyone was getting cut. We had two head coaches get cut within two weeks. We had players get cut. We had imports get cut. And somehow the white guy with crazy hair and <laughs> tattoos stayed. So it was a really nice experience. Amazing fans. I miss a lot of people there very dearly. We made some great connections. My partner came with me at the time and um, we made some some wonderful memories there. Um, she learned how to skydive there. She did her solo training. So she did about 20, 23 jumps or 22 jumps as well. So She'd learned, but yeah, I just had an amazing time there and I'd like to think I could go back. But yeah, as you said, played with DeMarcus Cousins, Boogie, 
uh, great guy, you know, off the court, just a, a really, really nice, well-educated person, um, you know, on the court, very passionate, sometimes up and down and and that gets, you know, uh, taken the wrong way. You know, there's times where we butted heads, but, you know, we had a really successful tenure there. Unfortunately, he got injured in game six of the semifinals and we ended up losing that game and went to game seven at home and we got pants there, but we uh, we had a, an amazing time. You know, I, I wish him all the best as well. I, I hope he gets back to the NBA. I think a team could definitely use him. He's still a very don- dominant person on the on the basketball court. So, yeah, an amazing tenure. But you know, we'll see what happens next year and, and what we do moving forward there. Yeah, it's so cool, man. It's, it's cool how you guys. So that is that your off season, right? Is that what you would call your off season, or um, is there just no off season in your league? Not really an off season because. You know, in those, I know it's so yeah, on, yeah. It's, I was only there for about four and a half months, but in some of these countries, like you can go and make just as much money you make, say in Australia or anywhere else, over the course of twelve months. So you know, it's smart because you double your money up. You get paid monthly over here in Australia over the course of a three-year deal. In that three year, you might go and play in Puerto Rico, Japan, and then Asia. And they're happy with that in your contract. Yeah, you're yeah, allowed to you do all do that? that. So you're still getting paid in one place, and you're getting kind of your extra savings and stuff in the other place. So. If you're smart about it, you can save well, you can make sure you're doing the right things off the court and making some moves there, but then you get to go and enjoy the lifestyle of someone new. So that's where for me, never played in Japan, would like to go and maybe try the city, the snow or the beach areas of Japan and see if I like it. Skydive maybe over there, Tokyo or something. <laughs> um, that's something that I need to ask before we I go to give you the new Ricks behind me. There's a few things you get when you come on in. I got me sunglass brand, but they're brand new. I haven't even seen them yet. You get the tools, but before we go there, the contract clause around extreme sports um, and borderline professional MotoGP. You got these passions of um, outside of you know basketball, like everyone does, and they're yours. Um, talk to us about the contract clause around that stuff. It's it's something that I, I speak to you know the the GM and the owner straight away and say, look, I I have I have for a lot of years now. Um, there is this extreme sports clause that go into most contracts. Now, some AFL guys are like, you're not allowed to water ski, you're not allowed to snowboard, you're not allowed to do whatever. I look at it and say, okay, if you can run me through exactly why this is ultra dangerous or why riding my motorbike every day or doing track days or whatever it is, is just as dangerous or more dangerous than me going to training, rolling my ankle and being out for 12 weeks. I've never had an injury from skydiving. I've never had an injury from racing motorbikes. I've never had an injury from riding motorbikes. I am safer on a motorbike riding every day to training than I am in a car. I've had about seven car accidents. Six of those were not my fault. One of them was I was young, stupid on my phone, bang, hit a car, dickhead, right? Let my lesson, did what I had to do. But the other six got T-boned, got rear-ended. I got smoked on a bike one time, like riding a push bike. I could ride my bike, get cut off by a car, just going for a leisurely ride to the park. There's so many things. If we wrap yourselves in cotton wool through my whole life, I'm not going to be able to have the mental clarity and focus to go and do my professional job if I don't have some kind of peaceful outlet. And people go, oh, extreme sports, skydiving and racing motorbikes. How is that peaceful? As I said, you watch some videos or whatever else of me racing and you go, that's crazy, that's stupid. But I'm in a, a full protective triple layer suit with airbags inside of it. I've fallen off smaller bikes and whatever. I've, I've fallen off a big bike one time in my entire life and I got straight back up, got right back on my bike and started riding again. So the fact that people go, it's really crazy and stupid and silly, you don't really understand it. 
You know, it's actually really safe. You're in a controlled environment. There's medical staff standing by. There's everything there just in case something goes wrong. But I can have just as many accidents at training, in the gym. I've had a back surgery. I've popped my back out at the gym doing a simple deadlift and it wasn't even a heavy weight. Mm. Missed about six weeks. Um, shooting, shooting the basketball. Ended up locking my elbow up. Had a whole bunch of bone spurs that chipped off when I was shooting one day out for 12 weeks surgery. You know, there's all these things that people say that are dangerous. Skydiving, I fall in the air. If you've seen any of my videos, I jump out of the plane and I just do this and I just fall on my back. And it's like a cool little exit, but it's something that like you're just falling. And if you've never fallen for a minute, don't tell me you know what it feels like. If you never watch me land on the ground, you literally, I could land on the cushion. I could literally land on this chair pretty much. Like you can be so precise with it. And I do so much training. I do indoor skydiving. I do all these things. I do all these courses. So I'm trained. I'm just as much of a professional because I learn very quickly and I learn patiently. I don't rush it, but I absorb information really quick and I have really good feel for throttle controls, brakes, ability to steer the bike. So I surround myself with very, very talented people. I learn off them. I start at a pretty low base and then I learn pretty quickly, but I take my time and we don't rush it and we never force ourselves into bad situations. And if I feel like my focus isn't there, I get off the bike. I don't skydive again. If I wake up and I'm like, oh, didn't get much sleep last night. I feel like shit. We're going to go skydiving today. And I'm like, I'm not going today, boys. I didn't sleep well. I want to make sure I feel fresh. I don't want to risk anything. I had an oversight one time. I've had nearly 300 jumps. I had an oversight one time and my chest strap came undone. And I was in the air upside down, falling with my feet up and my head down. And I was going this way. Now, if my chest strap comes undone and it's strapped around my legs and I'm head down, obviously the shoulder straps will just come off and f- the whole thing will fly off. You can overlay it. It's pretty funny. Um, but controlled it, knew what I was doing, hinged my arms, grabbed my other side, pulled my parachute, buckled my chest strap back up. But those are the moments where you need to be prepared. You need to be around professionals and know what they're doing. So people <laughs> always ask about it, but the, the biggest thing is I was very transparent. I said to the club straight away, this is what I do. If you have an issue with that, then don't sign me. Like that's cool. Yeah. Um, they were all swear with it. And yeah, we, we came to an understanding and we have an agreement in place that allows me to do what I need to when I need to. But that's the thing. I'm not skydiving five days a week. In the three months I've been back in Australia, I've had one day of skydiving. Yeah. That's it. I have had no track days on a motorbike. So I, it's it's just a sometimes when it aligns and you have a day off, go out, have a jump or ride your bike. No, it's well said. And uh, I don't understand it. So it was great because now I do. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you one thing, I'm still not doing it. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> You're a machine. Maybe one day. Um, maybe one day. I've got a note here from someone, you know, I've done a little bit. Are you mate, mates with Luca Dontich? Um, I Yeah, we've had interactions in the past. What was that like? Pretty awesome. Um, like he came in his first year. Um, we did um, summer league together. We had training camp together. Spent a bit of time around him. Um, interviewed him on the bus. People thought that was pretty funny. Asked him a bunch of quick fire uh, Aussie questions. Um, but what were the questions? Really nice guy. Say? Just like um, like this or that. Um, you know, kangaroos, Vegemite jokes, um, saying stuff like that. So um, they love that shit, don't they? Yeah, and like people thought it was really funny, and it kind of pops up every now and then on like social media pages of like some Aussie kid interviewing Luca, and it was pretty <laughs> funny responses from Luca when he was young. But yeah, to see that the career he's had is phenomenal. We've talked online a little bit. He plays a lot of video games, but yeah, he's um, 
yeah, very, very special human being and um, excited to see what he does for the rest of his career. Oh, I think he's got a phenomenal career ahead of him. Oh, yeah, he's going to be big. It's funny. I think I saw a clip that he was playing uh, maybe Call of Duty or something and they're like, what's your name? He's like, Luca. He's like, yeah. where are you from? He's like, Dallas. <laughs> like, and then the kid's just like ripping him. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah you yeah. sound like the basketball. He's like, I am. <laughs> yeah. And they're just probably like, no way. Like, like, this no is way. crazy. Yeah, he's like, I, I am. I'm, I just play. Like, didn't you play last night? He's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I was just cool when Pretty they get chill, on there. But same thing. Like, we always like misinterpret who people really are. And he's yeah. just a guy, that, lad that loves playing Call of Duty. Fucking brilliant, mate. Brilliant. Um, now, got something for you, man. Got the brand new Ricks. Uh, these are the these are called Boston, which is actually quite Boston, uh, fitting, which yeah. is quite fitting after you played yep. your first full game in Boston. Um, these are brand new. I haven't seen these. I've seen them online. So what I'll do is I'll get you to put these on. These are the Boston Dark Crystal Grey Polaroids, guys. There's five colors. Um, so they're Delicious. yours. They're brand new. Uh, looking forward to seeing. Have you even put these on? I yet? haven't, man. Oh yeah, that's so good. This they're, might help my golf swing. They're thick. Thick. Thick daddy. They're nice and these yeah. are good. I yeah. like these. Thank you, man. I lost my son. He's from Puerto Rico. I got him as a birthday present um, for the missus at the time. And she uh lost him. I lost him. So well, <laughs> sorry. We we love found people. him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We love people to lose them because then there's another sale. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like it. No, fantastic. Thank um, you. No, no, pleasure, mate. Uh this one is Rick's on tour. Everyone out there, rickseyewear.com.au. Use our discount code ACES if you want 20% off and you want to look like Mitchie in the Boston dark gray crystal with gray polarized lenses. Mate, Rick's on tour. We had fun with this one with Campbell Brown and I used to always say two teammates, Mm -hmm. but I think we can open it up. We can open it up to anyone. I want you to pick one location in the world and two people that you'd love to go to that location with. Take your Rick's eyewear. Tell me who and why you would take those people. I would, uh, I would go to the Swiss Alps. Never been there. Always wanted to. One, it's a beautiful base jumping and skydiving location. But two, obviously, a lot of like snow skiing, um, snowboarding. Um, the two people I would take, um, I reckon that I would take. Lewis Hamilton. Yes. One of my favorite Formula One drivers, also a skydiver. Yes, he's skydiver. Yeah, yeah. He jumped in Melbourne when he came down for the F1, so it was pretty cool. Um, Lewis Hamilton would be number one, and I definitely would have to go potentially an actor. Um, I'm going to say that if you're going to go like an Aussie legend, I reckon you might go someone like a Russell Crowe just because he'd be an absolute lad to get on the piss with. And he'd have a bunch of stories um, or even like a Hugh Jackman, just like a good Aussie lad, you know, well-versed, well-traveled, seen a lot, but we'd be down to do some some cool shit together. So those would be my two picks. I've got pretty sensible, polished Lewis and I've got the rough and bustle. Yeah. The, tough, the tough guys over here as I well. I love that. So. A lot of people are doing that. They're picking a sensible guy and then a, yeah. someone that's going to party hard, live dangerously and that way they can go either way and they yeah. can, you I know. I like we could twist Lewis's arm, you know. He'd, <laughs> he'd come skydiving with us and whatever else, but I feel like, you know, Russ would make us shotgun a few beers before we get out of the plane. So <laughs> and it's see good, if we can yeah. get Lewis to do that. And they'd have a lot of stories. Like <laughs> you said, I was thinking you're going to go with a Hemsworth and then I thought, oh, no, you want someone that's got um, a few more, you know, years on them and plenty of stories. They would have seen some stuff, wouldn't they, those yeah. two? That'd be some sort of trip. 
That would be a good trip. I think we could smash out two weeks there and have a ripper time. There you go. Well, thank you for putting them on. Rickshireware.com.au. Use the discount code ACES and grab the Boston who are brand new. They're literally brand new. That's the first time I've seen them. I'm looking forward to trying them on. I think they come in five colors. Uh, so looking forward to uh, hopefully that uh, they're not, no, hopefully they sell out quickly, but there's a few spare pairs for myself because only a few. It's a limited, um, a new style, that one. Mate, before I pass you to, uh, we talk about your Milwaukee Tools handiest moment of your career. You've got a few side businesses as well. Obviously, Rick's is mine. Um, when I started footy, I set up Rick's. We're now seven years in. But one thing I love about yourself is uh, you've got a couple of side hustles that I'd love to talk about while you're here. Can you talk to me about what they are and when you set them up? Yeah, so I've um, there's kind of three things at the moment that I've put a, <clears throat> a fair bit of time into. I bought um, a franchise called Mr. Potato. Um, we are currently signing the lease as we speak today. Beautiful. Um, That's exciting. In Richmond on Swan Street. So it's right near the tram stop, opposite Richmond Social, right next to the Coles. You can't miss it at the traffic lights, a little walking path. Um, we're going to start building hopefully in the next week or two. We're going to do all the demo and then hopefully by early December, maybe mid-December, before Christmas is the target to be open and trading. Um, the really cool part of that is my best friend, Tyson Hoffman, um, married a lovely woman called Jess Davis. They um, met in Adelaide when I was playing over there. Tyson actually came over through a crazy alignment of people and ended up being a part of the Adelaide 36ers as a development player. Now, at the time, Tyson had never really had a big job. He'd never made the team and he started something called Mr. Potato. Fast forward five, five, six years later, he's now got around 25 franchises or franchisees that are doing it. Got a couple of franchises himself. Obviously, they own the business, but I always told him I'd love to buy a franchise off you and set one up and we're going to be the first one in Melbourne set up and trading. So, really excited. The cool part of it is um, we're going to try and do a partnership with Richmond Football Club. So, anyone that is a member for the Richmond Football Club because it's right there in Richmond is going to get a discount. So, if you have a membership, your entire family, direct family, get that discount as well if they come in. Um, Any Southeast Melbourne Phoenix members would get the exact same discount. Now, if either of those teams are playing and they win, there's going to be an additional discount. So we want to look after the members. We want to try and give back a little bit. It's essentially like a beautiful baked spud. Uh, they have light potatoes. They have sweet potatoes. They've got all the fillings you could ever want. You can have a dirty, cheesy bacon, chicken spud with nothing else, or you can go and have a really healthy salad. You can have a nice potato with some some sides and toppings and a whole bunch of assorted items as well. So Excited to get that one up and going. So that's kind of the next big one for me that's kind of about to tick off the bucket list. Um, And I have one we just started called SNAZ, S-N-A-Z. It's essentially, we're doing motorbike giveaways. So we're doing motorbike gear, motorbike accessories, and actual motorcycles. So essentially you buy um, yourself at the moment, you buy a digital pack. So all it is is $3. You get these really amazing digital stills and merchandise pack. And that puts you in the running to win a... CR, at the moment, we're doing a, a CRF 450, a 2020 model. Um, you win that. So you go on the draw, you can win that motorbike for three bucks. Um, really cool. Four of us mates started it. We just want to start giving away motorbikes as well. So the next draw is actually going to be a free motorbike giveaway. We're actually going to give away a fully built, optioned out dirt bike to the value of about $15,000, $20,000. And all you have to do is tag a mate, share and like and you're in the running. You can do it a thousand times for a thousand entries. You can do it a million times for a million entries if you want to. I don't care. Hmm. But um, yeah, two 
two really cool things that I'm, I'm kind of spending a lot of time in at the moment and, you know, stuff, you know, on the basketball court is always very important, but setting myself up for life after sport is just as important. And, you know, I've been thankful enough to, to work with some great companies, um, you know, some great people and some great mentors. So pulling the trigger on, on quite a few things and, you know, long processes to kind of get started and get in the works, but, um, things that, you know, out are now up and running and hopefully, We'll be throwing spuds your way down here to the crew. Hey, I'll be going down there. Don't worry. Full price for me. I want to just sweet potato, obviously. Sweet potato is yeah, nice that's one. Me. Sweet yeah, potato cool. and uh, some chicken. Do you say you're getting chicken as well? Chicken, beef, pork. Bang. I've never, so I've never actually heard of it. So it's obviously the first in Melbourne. That's it's the first why. in Melbourne. Um, you think about um, Fonda over here. Yep. That kind of layout and color scheme, really like a really bright white with some pinks Clean. and some you know some greens and yeah. a lot of neons and yeah, really nice place. Um, it's gonna be really really cool. So keep your eye out for it. Make sure you check out them on social media, Mr. Potato and also Snaz. Yeah. Um, but yeah, exciting times and, and you know, hopefully we sell a few spuds. Oh, you're, you're, well, I am a spud, so I'll go down there and I'll, uh, I'll really indulge. But let us know when it's all live and that. We'll throw that out to the Aces. Um, one thing with the Aces is that it's extremely loyal and supportive um, awesome. and uh, we would love to help you out. So, And we can even do something down the line, a um, little activation or something there. That'd be love cool. That. That'd be awesome. But, uh, mate, well done. Well done. Thank it's you. it's Thank not you. easy. It's not easy. You know what I mean? Nothing's easy. If it was easy, we'd all be doing it, as yep. they say. But great to see you building your life away from the game. Um, and, and, you know, as I said, you've already spoken about giving back to your mom and plenty of people. You love the community, but basing yourself in the community with a small business and offering discounts. People don't realize until they think about it, discounts are taking away, you know, your bottom line. It's not an easy thing to do. People think discounts, oh, you're tired ass, give me a discount. When you give someone a chunky discount, you know that you're not going to make money, but it's there to give people an opportunity to taste your product, look at your product and um, also give back. So when you do give a discount, you hope people appreciate it and they come in and I'm sure they will and um, I'm sure we will. So really appreciate that, mate. Thank you. Um, Well done. That's awesome. Now, you're a humble man (laughs) and our friends at Milwaukee Tools, as we always say, without these guys, we don't exist. Uh, Before I talk about Milwaukee Tools and the segment, how do you go on the tools? I'm actually not too bad. We we had some issues with the builders for the fit out of this this Mr. Potato. So wow. uh, a friend of mine, Anthony, um, he is the owner of New York Minute Burgers. Have you had New York Minute Burgers before? No, I haven't. You need to have an, a New York Minute Burger. If you haven't had one, have one. Their food is absolutely incredible. We're going to go into business together early next year with something, but he's actually going to help me build the fit out. So he and myself are going to build the actual fit out. So we're going to document some of it along the way, but we thought, you know what? Screw some of these builders who are trying to bump us up 380% on the original <laughs> quote, which is what it was. So yes. appreciate everyone for doing that. That was really great. Wasting, Tough times out wasting our time for five weeks. But the cool thing is now is I'm going to have to get on the tools and I don't know, maybe Milwaukee will have to throw us a few grinders and bolt cutters because we're going to have to need them. JC, if you're listening, brother, you know where to go. The boys, we need to hook them up. Well, what you've got here is a Milwaukee brushless pruning shears with a leather holster behind me. Um, so that's yours. Hey, there we go. Um, that. Take that one, Trim mate. Hedges. Lightweight design offers maximum accessibility and control while reducing user fatigue. 1,500 cuts per charge on a 13-millimeter branch comes with a 2.5-amp starter pack and a leather holster to get you started, which right. is right here, brother. So that's, that. that is yours. Now, the Milwaukee Tools handiest moment. This is a moment where you have been as handy as you've ever been. And think about a moment where it was so good 
so handy. It's front of mind. Your Milwaukee Tools handiest moment. What would it be? Uh, I think a lot of people would probably say it's got to be the the dunk last year. Um, it went viral. It was on ESPN Sports Center um, against Melbourne United. Isaiah Liaf on our team got a steal and threw me a little drop pass. Came down the middle. Big uh, two-foot tomahawk dunk. Um, unfortunate at the time that there was uh, someone in the vicinity. Um, Delhi um, copped that side of it. The dunk went pretty viral. Um, I had a big yomp and yell and stare and, you know, a bit, a bit aggressive at the time. I turned around, got shirt fronted, so that wasn't too handy. <laughs> but um, it was good. Got up, chasing down. We all just like riffraffed at each other. But the first part of it, definitely going to be my handiest moment. Um, but, yeah, it's... Pretty cool moment that you have those in your career and you can look back and, you know, social media nowadays gives you the ability to kind of remember those moments. But yeah, some pretty cool photos, some pretty cool videos that came out about that. So that's definitely my uh, Milwaukee Tools handiest moment. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned it because I was going to ask you about the dunk and I thought, no, I reckon it could be one of your Milwaukee Tool handiest moments. So I thought I'll hold off and then I'll bring it up if you don't mention it because it could be another one. Um, mate, I watched the highlight just, just to refresh my memory driving in. You know, when I parked, yep. I was like, I better just make sure I watch every, this play again because I'd seen it um, last week. And it is it is amazing. It's a great dunk and the the, the big flex afterwards. But then the bloke comes in and gives you an absolute shit. He gave me run. a hide and I didn't really see it. And I kind of went, I got hit and I just remember going down thinking, Did you I just got shirt funny. <laughs> this is basketball. And I popped up like, I'm not happy right now. Yeah, and yeah. stormed after him. But I wasn't going to do it and then I just kind of yeah. got up and yeah. tried to act tough. Yeah, you kind of like lied down. I definitely, like, yeah. I definitely didn't act tough. It was funny. Everyone was like, oh, you're a bitch. Like, you're a <laughs> pussy. But then I was like, I actually didn't see it coming. It was a pretty good whack. I popped up and yeah, ran after him like an absolute goose. Oh, mate. And in that moment when you're flexing, that's just pure adrenaline and just I, like I couldn't that. actually tell you. And someone goes, oh, did you do it because it was Delhi? I said, no. I said, if, if my mum was under the ring and I dunked on her like that, I'd give her the same treatment. Ah, <laughs> yeah. oh, mum, there you go, cop that. <laughs> you know, that, that's, yeah, it's, it's a reactionary thing and you don't even think about it. So, yeah, it's pretty funny. Oh, it's very funny and it's very good. So, uh, that is a great moment. Uh, Milwaukee Tools, handiest moments. They've become, we've got a great collection now. There's a lot of, a lot of these uh, handy moments that are going down. Um, well, mate, thank you so much for your time. Uh, great to hear a little bit about your story. It's obviously only halfway there um, professionally. And, you know, I think personally, I just, I wish you all the best, but the boomers is something that I'm really looking forward to um, watching. Obviously, I'm watching the season and watching all of you boys um, with a close eye on it. But the the boomers squad and the selection process, I just, I know how much it means to you and I know how much I know so how many people on the outside are rooting for you and as as you said there's a few players that have already messaged you um, so it would warm our hearts my heart your heart your families to see you in that team and um, yeah wish you all the best and thank you so thank much you, for mate. coming on man appreciate it thanks for today pleasure and thank you to everyone that tunes in again um, to Ricks Milwaukee thank you but to everyone who uh, supports us and watches our podcast or listens to it Thank you. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this one. Um, our great guests only come on because of you guys. So thank you. And uh, yeah, we look forward to seeing you in the next one. Cheers, guys. One more time because I really mean it. I just want to say a massive thank you for all the support you continue to give us at the Oz American Aces. If you want to further support us, make sure you like and subscribe. Hit the follow button so you can keep up to date with all our exciting shows and announcements. Righto, now it's time to give our sponsors a massive plug. Lead the charge with Milwaukee. Performance, power, precision, 
no petrol hassles. Learn more at milwaukeetool.com.au. Milwaukee, nothing but heavy duty. Aces, I know I always talk about the Rixies, but I've got to offer you the discount again. In case you've forgotten or in case you're sleeping under a rock, we have a special discount code for everyone that listens to this podcast or watch the podcast. It's Aces. Head online to rickseyewear.com.au and use the discount code ACES and you'll get 20% off. That's right, 20% off, one-fifth at checkout and free express shipping. So head online, rickseyewear.com.au and check it out.